0: to the PR Wind Down podcast, the show for public relations professionals who are ready to see real change in the PR industry. We are your hosts, April Margulies and Laura Schuler. Let's get ready to wind down. Okay, so Laura. Yes, April. Hello. <laughs> Wait, hey, yeah, I don't know why we're like from Frago Rock now. What's happening? Hey,
1: no, the funds.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. Do you want to start with the what not to do from BR pros you know?
1: Yes. What not to do when your client is working with two agencies at once.
0: Well, that's a good one because this does happen. It does happen. Which is always shocking.
1: But there's a couple of different permutations of this or the spirit behind this question was what if they're working with you know two PR agencies in the U.S. so
0: it's sort of two different answers depending on whether they alert you to this or not right so sometimes there's another agency that's doing celebrity PR because you don't do that you do corporate PR or they're doing PR but it's also influencer relations
1: and large companies always almost always have more than one PR firm, but usually like when I was at PwC, I oversaw five PR firms, but one was doing banking and one was doing real estate and one was doing insurance and you know, whatever. So I was very specific their charge and it was because they were experts in those verticals.
0: Yes. So it was up to me
1: to manage it so that all hell didn't break loose. It was like keeping everything going so that all of a sudden it wasn't you know, like a big explosion. But I do think what we're talking about here are smaller, maybe startups or smaller companies or mid-sized companies and one PR firm gets hired, sometimes without knowing that another PR firm even exists in the mix, right?
0: Right, so there, wow, there's so many angles to this. So first of all, I would say It's pretty well known that when this happens, not always, but not infrequently, there's a vibe for the client. So both agencies are trying to creep into having more of the client's business and they're trying to edge out the other agency either by making them look bad or by getting media placements that are really on the other agency's list and not theirs. You're going to
1: try to get a media hit. You don't care, right?
0: Right. And that's usually what happens. And so it ends up being a dog fight. So in terms of the what not to do, I would say if you're new to this, don't assume if the other agency is looking really friendly and nice and that they want to help you. And like, let me just, well, we'll be happy to help and pitch that over here. That isn't what it looks like. So don't accept that at face value. That's not being
1: helpful. You're saying that's being sneaky.
0: It might be. So just don't, take it at face value. I mean, put a pin in it, be nice, be professional, but I would never, ever, ever give them anybody on your media list as somebody they can pitch. I would never let them creep into your territory of what you're pitching to help you pitch because that might get you fired as an agency, as the agency. Right. And it might get the other agency, your business. Yeah.
1: I think that everybody should work together in peace and harmony and I don't understand why it can't be shared.
0: I mean, that is ideal.
1: So I'm going back to my big company example, so it's not exactly the same, but I did have PR firms who were totally working in a different area, give me ideas for a different area that they knew I also covered and I would say to my other PR firm, like, hey, have you ever thought of going to such and such at the so-and-so media? But it was because, well, first of all, they were just really diehard PR people. They had this great idea and they couldn't help but share it with me, which is very nice. But they also sort of came off like the more senior adult firm in the room. And it stuck in my head. It did. And it was an amazing hit. We got it in the New York Times that I, w- I didn't know. It was very specific to a specific industry that I was not well-versed in as I oversaw you know mm-hmm. 16 different industries or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we got a major story in the New York Times and then we did it again. But the PR firm who was covering that area for me, that wasn't their idea, it was a different PR firm.
0: So yeah, I would say the other thing to not do if you're an agency owner or a freelancer is don't leave that out of your contract so make sure it's explicit in your contract that you're the agency of record and that they can't just hire another freelancer or another helper or whatever without Mm -hmm. breaking the contract what you don't want to do is suddenly out of nowhere have somebody that's double pitching the media you're pitching and compromising your relationships because yes, you want the revenue of the client, but your revenue is reliant on your relationships with the reporters. So you like, at the end of the day, you need the relationship with the media more than you need the revenue from that client, because that's your bread and butter. Right.
1: I think that sometimes clients bring another agency in to see who does better, so they kind of make it a dogfight. Yep. That's bad. And they don't understand how bad that could be for them. If two different agencies are pitching the same thing to the same reporter, that reporter could be like, you're all crazy. Get away from me. And it could ruin that relationship or that outlet for that client forever. Yep. Yeah. It would be epically bad.
0: Epically bad. So
1: do not let that slide. Now, like you said, if it's a really small or startup company, they shouldn't have two agencies at all, unless it's a totally different thing, unless it's a, they're going public and they have an IR agency or they have an ad agency, but not another yeah. PR agency. If it's a bigger company, it makes sense, because one might be a crisis communications, corporate communications firm, and the other one is totally like product pitching, you know, consumer and and really rarely will the two meet. The only thing that they have to be on the same page on is if it's a publicly traded company, like when they can't speak to the media and things like that. Uh, Maybe with trade media too, they'd have to communicate.
0: Right. So what happens if you're the agency that gets a project from a client that has an existing agency? Do you have to ethically reach out to the other agency or have the client give you their media list? Or do you just say, well, we're pitching this one story and this is a self-contained project. So even if if it's the same context they've been pitching, say, la
1: You have to have that discussion with your client to figure out like how this should work. And it needs to be pretty transparent And it may be they just can't do it because they need help. Maybe you're in a specific geographic market that they're not in that, you know, like you're literally sitting there to do an event or something like that. But still, yes, you would need to talk to the PR firms because you don't know if they're already pitching another story with the same media, right? So you need to know these things. Mm -hmm. So I guess the big what not to do is don't put your head in the sand and just pretend like you're in a vacuum. You really do have to have a lot of conversations with Your clients and whatever other agency there is
0: keep your eyes open right and make dang sure that if you get a media hit that it was somebody you pitched you don't want to email that hit over the client and assume that you got it from all the copious amounts of outreach you did only for them to say oh well that was from my other
1: agency agency. yeah i've seen that happen
0: because that is embarrassing if there's two agencies involved boy you have to know who on your team placed it and have the threat of that
1: right of that. right but the thing is if you don't know that there's another firm in the mix which sometimes happens then you would assume well how else did it happen it must well, be
0: no, we had it happen once yeah. where there was a reporter that covered a story who our team had been literally talking to about that client and it popped up and then the client said oh our other agency placed that and we went what
1: and that's how you found out that there was yeah. another agency
0: and that we were double pitching a reporter
1: see that that's we my... had
0: we had no reason to think it wasn't us because we had also emailed the reporter about that client it was a consumer pitch so it didn't really require oh, so, a right. lot of like exactly. you know back see? and forth <laughs> it
1: was like and, and so that's what? how you found out that <laughs> the client had another agency yeah. see well that's an example of what i was saying of, like, like, the client was like testing to see guess. what agency
0: was better what a waste of money. It's Like, we hold the phone. What, what, come again? What did you say? Right. That's crazy. So what a waste of money though. So that
1: client is probably spending t- double when, if you want to spend double, give that whole thing to one agency and you're going to get like exponential work. Yeah. See, that's what companies and people don't understand.
0: He said, oh, they're doing more like celebrity stuff. And I well, said, not in this
1: case, they weren't. Right? Are they
0: also pitching the media? Because then we can't do that so wow yeah Wow well it was shocking
1: that is shocking I I'm mean it
0: it's <laughs> 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 you sound it <laughs> oh goodness all yeah. right so shall we move on to our anonymous PR chorus story of the day yes okay do you want to do the honors
1: should I I could do it but read it in different voices.
0: Why don't you read one paragraph as you and one paragraph pretending to be me.
1: Pretending to be you? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Here is our horror story of the bye week I was working one time at a big, very competitive agency. To land the job, I had to complete an account simulation project. I was put on a fake internal account with some other new team members vying for one of the open positions. All right, now this is me being you. (laughs) We were told this was designed to simulate how normal accounts were run at the agency. Our client contact, quote, was sort of role played by a senior executive at the agency. And it was our job to generate media ops for this guy. He assured us that this was to be a safe space to learn the rogues, but it ended up being more like hazing.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm that melodramatic? That was my
1: dramatic interpretation of you. Okay, <laughs> okay, back to me. He constantly berated us, overloaded us with work and refused to answer questions for us. He was never available for interviews and would often skip out calls to focus on other priorities. At the end of the quarter, he called us out during a company-wide meeting for not doing enough to make the simulation account a success. Here you go. Eventually, at the end of the quarter, company-wide after-work sushi hour. I know, I know, that's a mouthful. A couple of us, quote, probationary staff overheard this person boasting to the other exec-level colleagues. He basically said he was putting us through the ringer to make sure we were tough enough for the job. I stuck it out because I needed that elusive paycheck my light at the end of the tunnel. And the guy eventually got promoted for pioneering this new hiring process. Oh my God. Okay, back to me. Apparently we were the lab rats for this new procedure. I landed the job, but I took my first opportunity to leave. (laughs) A couple of agencies later and wiser, I've never seen anything else like it.
0: (laughs) Okay. well. I think your dramatic reading of me is way funnier than the story itself. The I know, I don't even know what I
1: read. I was so into the character. <laughs>
0: okay. So-, <laughs> so basically, I'm guessing. Maybe, you know, maybe they then, were like an
1: intern or a temporary or a contract. Uh,
0: it must be that because then at the end it says I landed the job.
1: Oh, I stuck it out because I needed the elusive paycheck. Maybe they were an intern or something, trying to now get like a full time job or something. That's what it sounds like. Or
0: or or a promotion or something. Right,
1: because this this isn't probably even legal. And I let me, if anybody, if this was a job interview, like that, you weren't actually getting paid for any of it. Run, run away! Do not do this. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so I'm assuming, though, that it's, right, somebody who either was an intern not getting paid yet and was trying to get the job, maybe competing against the other interns, or a temporary worker or contract worker who was vying for a full-time job. It still sounds, well, I guess that's the point of this note. That's insane. Yeah. That's almost it, like the, the Hunger Games or something, you know? <laughs>
0: I mean, it's also And why don't you such... put people
1: on a real job? Like, they're spending all this time on something that's not even real?
0: That's what small accounts are for. Like, this is like, Or young... do a
1: pro bono thing or do something for the agency. You know, like, internal PR for the right. agency. Right. right. So, like, at least there's something coming out of it other than, like, oh, this one's better than that one. It sounds like the engineering of a madman. Wow. It's crazy. Yes, but again, I will say it twice so nobody missed it. If this is an interview process run. Do not do it. Agreed. You spend your time way better somewhere else.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's, that's bananas. God, he got promoted. Ugh. I think there are other situations where people are kind of have hazing at work.
1: Yeah. I've had it.
0: I have I've had too.
1: It. You know what? In fact, I think I might know who the guy was that did this. The whole thing that overloaded them with work and wouldn't answer questions about it. Put somebody in a vacuum and be like, good luck. I mean, come on. Especially, like I said, it sounds like more junior level people. Yeah. I had that happen to me. I was told after working somewhere for, I don't know, I was in my 20s. Sorry. I was no longer allowed to ask any questions of my boss. No more questions. Ever.
0: This was reminding me of my first, I think it was week on a job and I had turned in some work and my boss who is the agency owner wrote in all caps really big horrible and then put this like halloween claw with dripping blood like he had taken the time to like draw. he was like scratching
1: down your page
0: <laughs> and <laughs> it, it cleared, started to
1: bleed it was so and bad it, it
0: put much more time into the drawing the halloween drawing than the feedback so i had this feedback did you save that I did. I actually pinned it to my wall and thought it was so funny so that anytime he or anyone else came in my office, he'd see it to know that I thought it was funny. So basically, he had put that, but very little feedback on the rest of it. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even know how to make it better because all I had was horrible.
1: (laughs) Do you, looking back, do you remember, was it horrible?
0: Not that I remember.
1: Right. I'm just wondering if, you know, you were just so like, I don't even know what to do, that it was completely inadequate only because you were young and didn't know what you were doing. Or was this guy just, you know, a huge perfectionist and terrible manager? Because I've had that too.
0: I think it was more of a hazing thing.
1: So like I said, the guy who said no more questions. Yeah. It was hazing, but not in like good fun. And at the end you get to join the fraternity. It was hazing because he was a miserable, horrible human being. And it never stopped ever. Like, and I know other people who worked with and for him and his whole, this is his whole life. But I feel like with hazing and I still don't stand by whatever this person did here. No. A, because like I said, it's like the Hunger Games and B, what a waste of time to do a simulated, like do actual work. If you're making people work, like make it count towards something. So those right. are the two reasons this is crazy. Right. But it does remind me of, you know, experiences I went through where it was hazing, but at least at the end of this crazy story that this person wrote in, they like got a job. In my case, it was just chronic. Weep. I feel bad for young kids, the kids in PR.
0: How much longer do you think this is going to go on though? Like millennials and then all the generations behind them. They're not no. going to put up with this.
1: No. I don't know. My generation was like, oh God, here we go again. I just got to, you know, go in and take it or whatever. Right. I mean, so where a lot of people complain that like millennials and Gen Y and Z or whatever, you know, aren't tough enough and whatever. I kind of have to hand it to them that they were just, for whatever reason it is, they're just like, what? It's just no. So good for them. They're ahead of the game in some areas, in some areas like you don't know, want to. I want to sit them down and tell them like the world doesn't revolve around them. But in this regard, <laughs> I wish that I didn't get treated like so badly, you know, and if yeah. they're going to flip it around, then good for them. Right. I don't know. Where is it human nature and people are just mean and this will never end. I don't know.
0: Oh, I mean, there's some of that for sure. Until utopia comes, the golden age of civilization arrives. But until then, we're stuck The second coming of David Bowie. That's not how I would put it. Oh. But yes.
1: <laughs> That's how I would put it. You, there's all these like memes and stuff. It's like the lines going up, like the improvement of society. And then it's like David Bowie dies. And then it's like. <laughs> it's true.
0: That's funny.
1: All right. Well, I'm sorry that whoever wrote this had to go through this, but it seems like. This person, better or worse, like came out on top of this nonsense.
0: Hopefully they learned something from the simulated reality. Right.
1: And let me tell you to the people who didn't get the job or don't come out on the top of these kinds of things, things will work out if you're like a decent human being and you will learn from this and you'll have a story to tell later and things will be better and different. And you just, you know, there's a hundred different job things that will happen to you. So don't get too bogged down in one person's insanity right
0: so Laura do you want to be our guest of the day yes <laughs>
1: <laughs> I've been waiting for a year for you to ask me
0: <laughs> oh that sounds so sad but I could totally make you the guest of the day
1: okay I'll let you ask me one to three questions
0: <laughs> wait well, let me first ask you this is there like a topic within PR that you're most passionate about
1: <laughs> you know what I'm gonna say all the different facets of PR come into play to make, especially if you're talking about agency and agency work and for clients to be successful. If you're just good at writing, that's not enough. If you're just good at new business pitching, that's not enough. If you're just good at media pitching, that's not enough. If you're just good at client relations, that's not enough. If you're just good at mentoring young staff, that's not enough. You have to be able to do all those. And you have to be like a person who can jump from topic to topic to client to client to idea to idea. You have to have above average level of ability in everything to be successful. If you're somebody who's like delving into doing it all, right. Being a senior level person at an agency.
0: That's not a specialist.
1: Right. I was going to say, if you're a specialist, that's a different story.
0: Right. So what are the pros and cons of being in-house versus at an agency? Okay. So I can
1: answer that in-house especially if you're at a big company, you're one of very few people who do PR or marketing and most people don't get it. And most of the people you're dealing with who are senior level executives kind of think your job is easy and dumb. So you don't get a lot of respect and you also don't have much of a community to learn new things from or vent to, et cetera. Now that has changed in recent years with all of the PR groups on like Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter, et cetera. So I feel like now there's a lot more access to be able to commiserate with people who do PR if you're in-house. And the other thing about being in-house is you get so sucked into the like black hole of whatever it is that your company does or that you're required to do that it's very hard to like look outside and peek your head out and look around and see what else is going on in the industry. And your agency, if you're a big company with a nine to five, they're doing all of that for you. So you don't have to, so you're not really forced to do that very much. So all of that is sort of negative because I think that you start to fall behind a little bit in terms of being on the cutting edge of PR, unless you're a super motivated, proactive person, which there are out there, but it's hard to be that. On the other hand, it's usually you have a little more control about your life and your work life and what you're doing and what you're not doing, somewhat control of things flying out at you out of nowhere mm-hmm. to an extent, mm-hmm. kind of depends on who you work for. But then at an agency, it's really super fast paced and you could be put on way more accounts than you could ever handle. And there might be personality conflicts. And, and if you're, you know, senior, figuring out how to motivate this kind of person versus that kind of person. And right now, most people are not in an office, people you've never met before, et cetera. And this is one of the things, especially if you're a junior person, you might have three or four different senior people, managers telling you what to do on all different accounts. And one person doesn't really understand that you're on eight accounts. They're just worried about the two accounts that you're working on for them. So as a junior person, it can be very difficult to manage All these crazy senior people like shouting at you to do a million things. (laughs) So, the the good part about being at an agency, though, is how much you can learn, how much you can get involved in, how much you can be and stay on the cutting edge of what's going on in the PR industry. And you still also should be involved in all the different PR groups that you can, you know, on social media, et cetera. And just really take advantage of all of the resources that you're given.
0: So how do you know if you're a young person, if you're the right personality type for agency versus in-house? Is there sort of a telltale sign? or
1: I think everybody has to work at an agency first. I know that doesn't always happen, but it often happens that you're at an agency before you go in-house. Because anybody who is wise in terms of hiring an in-house person, I think that they want somebody who has really been there and done it. And again, if you've just worked in-house, it's a little bit too, I don't know, academic. It's a little bit too government job. And you might get somebody who's really smart in all of that, but a little sleepy maybe, where the kind of person who comes out of an agency, like again, they have learned way more than they even know that they have. Mm -hmm. But then going back to in-house life, I think that PR people who most of whom are sort of agency types you know kind of shot out of a cannon and doing 50 things at once and so you're just banging through stuff i ran into even marketing people not understanding the fast-paced nature of pr and that you're not going to be able to spend three weeks writing a report or strategizing you know a press release like Mm -hmm. we got to do this now you got to get it out it has to be good it has to be good enough it's not going to likely set records because you just got to keep moving, moving, moving. If you take weeks to do something, it's too late. It's over. And you're also not going to get enough done. Mm -hmm. So I do feel like it's hard for sassy PR people to work in-house because a lot of times I think other people that they work with think they're a little bit bonkers, you know, boom, 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 you know, and I found that happened to me with marketing people, even that I worked for were like, wait a second, we need to vet this and 90 people have to read it and we have to run it. And then we have to rewrite it again. It's like, oh my God, like it's just not how you're wired as a PR Mm -hmm, person. mm -hmm.
0: And do you have to be passionate about the industry that your company is in if you're in-house? I don't know if you
1: have to really love it, but you have to be at least like it and you have to be at least interested to learn about it. Because if it's something that you really don't agree with, then no, you're going to quit, right? If I don't know if you're being asked to work for the tobacco lobby or something and you're anti smoking, I mean, you just can't do it. Mm-hmm. Can't do it for long. And if it's something that you are really into, that can be a double edged sword too, because what was your like passion in your leisure time now has become your job and it might sort of take some of the sheen off mm-hmm. of it. However, I think a lot of people are able to combine the two, if their love is music or if their love is sports and they get to work in that industry too, mm-hmm. it could be a great success as well though, right. actually.
0: So that leads me to another question I had for you. How important is it to understand the cultural context of the thing that you're pitching? Because I know you've got your degree in American culture, American culture. Exactly. I, I think that probably helps you a lot, but how important is paying attention to the temperature of the culture and the way things are blowing and
1: I think it has become more important over the years. I think that if you're just doing some strict B2B, like back end technology stuff, it doesn't matter as much a lot of the time, but a lot of obviously tech companies have come into the fore as being like cultural forces. It just depends sort of what you're pitching and what kind of company and where in the ladder of importance you're at. However, I feel like there are a lot of ideas that come from keeping your pulse on what's going on in the culture, in the news that might come into play that you suddenly might say, oh, and it helps you connect two things that you would have never connected otherwise. Mm -hmm. And you might think you're driving or you're sleeping or whatever, and you wake up, oh my God, wouldn't that be interesting to try to pitch my client based on this idea? So I think that's the most important reason to keep on top of the pulse of what's going on in the culture. It gives you more ideas and you can speak to clients way more intelligently because even if it's ideas that like they end up not using, you sound like a more informed, intelligent person.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. I remember somebody at our agent doing a microdosing therapy pitch because micro dosing was trending even though microdosing has nothing to do with this therapy app that we were pitching, but she was able to make it sound sexier and like had a cultural relevance and get some more traction that way. So that's always interesting. So how do you do that with all these channels of information now coming at us? How in the world do you stay on top of the news and what's happening in culture and do your job?
1: You sign up for newsletters that have to do with the industries that you're serving and other news things and have New York Times alerts going on. And you have Google alerts too for certain keywords. So you're always looking at newsletters. You're always looking at news alerts. You're always, I mean, you're always doing it. And if you don't, you can't be a PR person, right? If you're not like doing that all the time. And think about the things that you do like more, that maybe the things that you don't do in your job but the things that you like in your personal life and what their meaning is to you. I have helped clients and non-clients by combining two things that they would have never put together for themselves before. And maybe you help connect two companies and then an event comes out of that. Maybe your client is known for one thing, but you know that they have an interest or an expertise somewhere else. And then suddenly you're getting them media coverage for this other thing that they've never been pitched for before. And so because they've never talked about their hobby, people want to hear about it because it's a new, interesting twist, right? Mm -hmm. The only way to really do that is to always be thinking (laughs) and reading. And again, the more, the older you get and the more experience you have in PR, it sort of starts to come natural. Don't you find that, April? Like, you're like, oh, this would be an interesting PR pitch or idea or client. And it's just because like now your brain has like, you know, the wrinkles in your brain are like, there's like a PR in there or something.
0: (laughs) Scientifically proven, if you break open our brains, you're going to see PR embedded in the wrinkles of our brain.
1: Have I become a monster? Or is it just the way, like, sort of, you're wired if you really want to do PR that you will just inevitably think that way?
0: I think some of both. I think it's reinforced by doing it. And I think you do it because you have a natural tendency to think that way or be that way. So I know that I'm out of questions, but I have one last question for you. Okay. What question do you wish I had asked you that I didn't?
1: That's like a bad interview question. <laughs> How about, I don't wish you asked me this, but this is a question. What if PR didn't exist as a career or a job? What if nobody had come up with it? Would the world be different, better, or worse?
0: It would definitely be different. In some ways, it would be better. <laughs> and in some ways, it would be worse. All right. I mean, I think strategic communications is something that was inevitable because you should see some of the startups that come to me and they're ready. They think they need to tell the world about themselves and they're like, great, put me out there. I have this great idea and this great product and I need somebody to help me get it out there. If they didn't have somebody that could do that, most of the ideas that are great ideas would go nowhere right? Mm-hmm. So in that way, it'd be worse because there'd be nobody that can help them frame what they're doing in a way that makes sense. And how is it different from what's out there? And how is it going to serve your key audiences? And who are your key audiences? I mean, there are all these things that they need assistance with. They're an engineer or they're a Chances, facilities yeah. manager an accountant or a lawyer or a, a rockstar, an, an right. IT guy or rockstar or an athlete. Like there's no way that they can right. be expected to do that. So. I don't think to that point PR is ever going away because I just think there's always going to be need for people to get help communicating what they're doing with the world. I think we saw the really sinister part of it when we interviewed the two filmmakers Mm -hmm. because that's evil. You know, anything that's an asset can be used for good or evil, right? So I think it's something to be treated with awe and respect because what we're doing isn't just to the point Laura <laughs> was making about what internal people think of your in-house it's not dumb and easy it's not anybody can do it it's so funny a friend's dad said to me i would rather be the person that's making news than somebody that's writing about somebody else doing it so there was that attitude too and what I about as that. a
1: journalist was he knocking journalists
0: yeah then in a way you're almost one step worse from that. Cause you're not even writing about it. You're getting somebody to write about something that somebody's doing. That's worth talking about in his mind. Right. So I understand that there are people out there that think that, but without that intermediary people like him, never, they don't have a chance of getting their ideas out there. Right. Most people are not gifted at doing whatever they do well and doing. And it takes an awful lot
1: of time. And. Right.
0: And it takes an awful lot of time. That's right. So can you do both physically or feasibly? I think, you know, what it came out of and the history of it is definitely something that was a bit sinister because it was more about leveraging people's psychology to get them to do what you want them to do.
1: Right. I think a lot of people think that about PR. But so much of it is not that, you know.
0: So much of it is not that, but there is a lot of it that is <laughs> that. And especially <laughs> in the political and celebrity sectors, right? right, right? right That's right. kind of a different animal. I mean, the truth is that where things have gone, which is really interesting, which is why I call it trust relations instead of public relations, is that you can't just tell the audience what you want them to believe about you anymore. Right. Because there are too many ways for them to verify it. So if you aren't doing what you say you are, or what you say you're doing, you're going to be found out in a hot second and you're going to Um, be no longer credible, right? And you're not going to have the brand respect. You're not going to have the audience. You're not going to have any ambassadors. I mean, none of that, right? So I think where we're going is that you have to authentically be doing something of value and all the rest of this stuff, you know, the return of David Bowie is going to go away. Because it's all so on the surface now and so transparent, it's becoming more obvious and it's not working. How about
1: this question? Do you think that it's right or fair or reasonable, whatever words you want to use, that by and large, advertising gets a lot more money than PR in terms of accounts? I mean, you know, companies spend millions on advertising, where mm-hmm. in PR, you're like sometimes begging for 60 grand a year or something and i think salaries are probably also on a lower scale in pr than in advertising is that fair
0: well there's two ways to look at that so one is that with advertising there's a lot easier way of doing a direct roi because you put out an ad and say how many people clicked on this ad or went and purchased based on this ad and there's Mm -hmm. a way of knowing whether or not it was successful right so in a way If people want an assurance that where they're putting their money is generating revenue, then I do understand that advertising has that going for it. PR does not. However, I think people are really sick of advertising now. So I'm wondering if it won't shift towards earned media because I don't know how many people now see an ad and then go and make the purchase. You know, there's still a place for it because if they can figure out that, based on your Facebook, you're really into yoga and they send you a discount for yogaworks.com's new online classes, 30% off. I mean, are you going to click on that? Probably.
1: But my question still is, is it right that advertising seems to get most of the time a lot more money than PR?
0: Probably not. Although there's also a limited universe of what you can do with PR if you aren't doing a lot of stuff. So in a way, if companies could put some of those ad dollars into doing things, Mm -hmm. I think they'd be better off. Mm -hmm. So if they put it into new initiatives, I think in a lot of ways, they would actually get more respect.
1: Or what about, I think this is true, most of the time in-house PR people make more money than agency people maybe That's not at necessarily at the senior most levels like oh the yeah a- the,
0: the only way to come close to an in-house salary is to be the owner or like a managing partner or right
1: but if you're you know just a an ae and ad even a vp you're not going to be making as much money And is that fair no no it's no, because not because
0: you're usually working three times as hard yeah. i mean no offense to any internal communications person but no it's when I'm, i was uh, one i true. you know i got to come in at nine or ten and I got to leave at five or six and, you know, there were occasionally times where I was working before or after that, but boy, it was a far cry from an agency life.
1: Right. You got to make your agency do all the stuff, right? I mean, yeah, I
0: got to go out for lunch and if I needed to go, you know, to the shoe repair shop for my boots, I could, I mean, there are all kinds of things that there's no way to pull off during the day and, Mm -hmm. you know not be yeah. reamed. Everything's an emergency. Right. So
1: why do in-house PR people tend to make more than agency people? I guess if you work at a big company with deep pockets and there's only a few of you, they're going to pay.
0: It's also way more boring.
1: That's what I was saying. It really is. You don't learn as much. Right. I think that's true. So those were my answers to my questions that you asked me
0: or whatever. <laughs> way to put a bow on it That was really elegant. <laughs> all right. So, in lieu of having a guest this week, we have our sort of in-depth analysis from the PR news of the week from the Forbes Council on 15 ways to gain control of the narrative during a PR crisis, which I feel like could be interesting to get into. So, we have first of all, acknowledge the issue in a timely manner. Don't jump to denial. Stay calm and gather your crisis team. Focus on positive earned and owned media. Listen to and understand people's concerns. Appoint a dedicated spokesperson. Showcase company beliefs and values while in the spotlight. Have a clear message and confidence in your position. Hold back your initial emotional response. That's a good one. Specify fall sales grace. No,
1: specify fail safes. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, all right, hold on. Let me say that again. False sales. She's like, there's a I sale like, at Sears.
1: I'm going to go get like, a new outfit.
0: It's like, that makes no sense. <laughs> okay. So specify fail safes being put into place and ask for grace. This is from me. Get to the this, bottom. This is the best one. No, it's not, but it's it's in there. Get to the bottom of what happened. Deliver an official statement via social media. Provide a short and simple statement of the truth gather the necessary details and react swiftly and cement the internal narrative first, which is, I should mention from our partner, Chris Tompkins at the go agency, who was a guest on our show at one point. So those are the 15 ways,
1: 15 ways to gain control of the narrative during a PR crisis. And this was, so it's 15 different people who are council members. These, each of those things that you just named. Yep. So, What I learned, and let me see, I like don't jump to denial. I did too. Stay calm and gather your crisis team. Now, I like the first three, acknowledge the issue in a timely manner. I feel like those three are actually kind of one. I say this from my experience at PwC. We figured out, and this is what any company should do, what are the thing or things that could go wrong at your company? Mm -hmm. Have a team that with their... Home cell phone numbers, etc., with a person appointed to reach out to all of those people, no matter what time of day or night it is. Sunday at you know four in the morning, etc., and have a statement already ready to go that just has to be edited per whatever the specific issue is. Because again, you probably only have a handful of issues that negatively come your way,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and make sure you get that statement up on Twitter and immediately within 30 minutes if possible mm-hmm. so acknowledge it in a timely manner yes mm-hmm. don't jump to denial no but have like a basic statement mm-hmm. and stay calm and gather your crisis team but you have to have that team kind of at the ready before the crisis hits so yes. I like those three as one two three
0: mm-hmm. now all the
1: others are good too but that's just those just jumped out at me
0: yeah let's see so focus on positive earned and owned media I don't get it. as much.
1: Listen, there's a lot of ways you might find out about the crisis through a reporter. You might get a call and whenever you, (laughs) clients are like, ooh, you know, usually we'll go to the client and the client will be like, ooh, great news guys. The New York Times just called me, 60 Minutes just called me. And as a PR person, you're like, oh boy. (laughs) They're just calling you out of the blue to chat probably means they know something that you don't want to talk about. So in that case, You're dealing with, quote, earned media, right?
0: He's basically saying in general, if you have good earned media already, then if there's a social media firestorm, you'll weather it better because the social media stories don't last long on search, but the earned media does. So if you have a lot of great press, you can weather a crisis better.
1: That's interesting. I like that.
0: I do too. Listen to and understand people's concerns. Yeah.
1: Don't just step on people's comments. I mean, we've seen it backfire a thousand times in the past like year mm-hmm. or two.
0: Right. I think that's a good one. Um, things
1: might've used to work that way back in the day, but, and I'm talking like the sixties. Right. It doesn't work like that any, especially with social media. No way. No.
0: I like appoint a dedicated spokesperson. Again, ideally, this should be done in advance. Yeah, you should, you'd have that ahead of this time. This should be in your crisis preparedness plan, right. as should your crisis team. That should be something you did well before right. anything happened. You and have, have a backup life. person
1: in case your spokesperson is the center of the issue.
0: Right. Um, then showcase company beliefs and values while in the spotlight. They're relying on the saying, you know, all publicity is good publicity, even if it's, and he says, this is true to some degree because the number one killer of business, in my opinion, is obscurity. Mm-hmm. It's an
1: opportunity in a way. Values. Basically. Yeah.
0: So that's interesting. And I've seen that before. You reiterate your company's values as part of the media statement in response to it. You know, we place We their- don't stand by
1: this or we do stand by that. Yeah. That's right.
0: That's right. So that's, that's a good advice, I think. Okay.
1: Get to the bottom of what happened. It's April your... Margulies.
0: <laughs> are you going to read this as me again
1: <laughs> get to the bottom of what happened so you know what this is really good though because I've been thinking about this recently a lot when I see how stories unfold on social media and where you started is uh-huh. not where you ended up yeah and also just in life Don't assume that the information that you've gotten in the first five minutes is the whole story. It's so not. You really need to do a lot of due diligence and research and find out what this person is saying, what happened, who lied, who didn't, whatever. Whatever the issue is, you know this stuff always continues to unfold. It makes it a little bit difficult to have a statement come out within 30 minutes because you can't possibly know everything that went on. But that's why you have to have a caring statement that comes out that probably says, and we are delving into the details and we will, you know, provide an update shortly. Right. Because you'll almost always be shocked by the goings on behind this crisis situation has stuff you could never have imagined. You really have to dig deep and you might have to have lawyers, you know, depending on how big and how serious and et cetera it is.
0: Yeah. So I just said, even if the truth is ugly, figure out how much of the crisis can be found through publicly available information, which is very important because as a former reporter, I know that there are places where you can get information. There's no point in denying, right? Because that's already publicly available information. And then I said, determine if anyone is still at risk of being injured or endangered. If so, disclose this to the public as soon as possible, then determine what steps can be taken. So put those basic facts and your goodwill efforts into a public facing statement. So basically what I'm really saying is that you need to figure out how this thing happens so you can correct it earnestly and not just say something nice, because if something really went wrong. You need to know, you need to correct if it was a bad billing practice, if it was a a coding error, if it was a, there are all kinds of things that could be, you need to know what they are. But the main thing is that if you're in a situation where the greater good of all is at risk because there is um, a health risk to people or a data breach, or there's some other issue, you know, that's the kind of thing that you need to let them know as soon as possible as much as you can and that you're looking into how that could have happened and making sure it never happens again kind of thing. Yeah. So I don't know that that's rocket science, but it's but it's my advice. <laughs> and then cement the internal narrative first. So get the main decision makers together to formulate how the company and the staffers will be responding to the crisis. Once that's been decided on, gather all staff together and ensure that they're well-versed in how to respond to any questions relating to the issue. Yeah, I mean, it
1: goes back to what I was saying. That you need to know what your likely hot button issues are, where your vulnerabilities are, and come up with a statement ahead of time. And that will have cemented your internal narrative to a degree, right? As much as you can without something having happened. So that when something does happen, you're already, you know, three quarters of the way down the road. And then you got to make sure that everybody's on the same page.
0: Right. Those are the tips.
1: Well, those are good tips. Thank you.
0: I mean, thank the Forbes Council.
1: <laughs> thank you, Forbes Council.
0: <laughs> okay, perfect. Awesome. So, thank you so much for tuning in for the Pierre Windown podcast.
1: And thank you to me <laughs> <laughs> and April for a very interesting impromptu interview.
0: That was actually really fun. Remember to submit your own agency stories and questions and to share and share with your friends and colleagues. If you subscribe and leave us a rating, it'll help us reach new listeners like you.
1: And if you have an anonymous PR horror story of your own, send it our way at the contact email below the episode notes.
0: We can't wait to wind down with you again next time.